This is a sermon from New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. To learn more about New City or to hear more sermons in this series, visit newcitycincy.org. Our scripture reading this morning is a selection of verses from the book of Proverbs. You can find it printed in the bulletin if you'd like to follow along as I read. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. How much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name's Josh, one of the pastors here. Glad to be back with you this week. I was uh, gone last weekend on vacation, but really glad to be back with you as we uh, continue on in this series. But before we get started, let's, uh, let's just take a moment and pray and ask for the Lord's help as we look at his word together this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, you tell us that your word is a, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We pray that indeed it would be so this morning. Would you give us soft hearts and open minds as we engage with your word? We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, I think it was Woody Allen who said, uh, money is better than poverty, if only for financial reasons. <laughs> There's a Roman proverb that says, uh, money is like seawater. The more you drink, the thirstier you become. Bob Dylan famously sang, money doesn't talk, it swears. And Homer Simpson says to Mr. Burns, you are the richest man that I know. To which Mr. Burns replies, but I'd trade it all if I could just get a little more. (laughs) Today we're talking about greed. As a part of our series in the seven deadly sins. And, you know, why are we spending so much time talking about sin? I'm in my mid-40s now, which is painful to admit because I've only just come to be reconciled to the fact that I'm not in my 20s anymore. But one of the things about reaching a certain age is you uh, go to the doctor more often. And not just for more ailments, but more regularly scheduled checkups that you're supposed to do. You go in, you get a physical, and sometimes they add a stress test or blood work. And then the reason that you do this, or so I'm told, is uh, you can be feeling fine and yet 
still have a disease. You can run a marathon even and still have a serious condition that's been yet undetected. And so you schedule these regular tests to look beneath the hood, so to speak. And when the church fathers created the list of the seven deadly sins, they intended much the same thing, reflecting on the sins that are most likely to get us, the ones that are most likely to trip you up. It gives you the chance to take your pulse, to see how you're really doing. And hopefully you've been able to do that throughout this series. I've been walking through this with us over the last six weeks. And the metaphor is especially pertinent to today's study on greed because lots of people over the years have come into my office and talked about their struggles, struggles with anger or lust. Some have shared stories even of gluttony or, or sloth. People don't usually own up to pride, but sometimes I've told them <laughs> that they were prideful. But never at least to my recollection, never, never, never has anyone come into my office and said, Josh, can you pray for me? I'm really greedy. Greed is the universal disease that no one believes they really have. But the book of Proverbs helps us to unmask it and to be aware of it. And so as we talk about greed this morning, we'll kind of progress through it in three ways. We'll talk about what greed is first. Secondly, what are some of the signs that you have it? And then finally, what's the remedy? What's the antidote to greed? So first, what is greed? And and very simply, greed is when money is too important. Greed is when money is too important. Greed is when money is too central in your life. Which does beg the question, right? What place should money, what should wealth have in our lives? Uh, The very last of your Proverbs there, Proverbs 30, verse 8 says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. And you see what the writer of Proverbs is doing there? He's relativizing the importance of money. He's not saying it's without importance. He's not saying there's no use for wealth or for money. Poverty is not the goal. But money is not all important. In fact, Proverbs would tell us, there are many things you should seek, you should love, you should pursue and think about and fixate on and consider before and as more important than money or wealth. Greed is when you get that misplaced. Greed is when you get that out of order. Greed is when that's out of whack. And so let's talk about some features of greed. We've alluded to it already, but but greed is hidden. There's something in the very nature of greed that makes it hard to spot in yourself. Luke 12, 15, Jesus says, Take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Many translations render that, watch out for greed. Greed, covetousness, same Greek word that's there. Watch out for greed. Take care. Be on your guard. In Greek, that phrase means to take a positive action to ward off a foe. It's a military term. It's fighting language. And the foe that Jesus is telling us we are to be fighting is greed. Watch out for greed. Now, Jesus only has to say this, right, if greed sneaks up on you. You don't have to say watch out for something you're obviously aware of that you're prone to or you're doing. He doesn't say, you know, watch out for murdering because you almost always know when you're murdering someone, right? (laughs) But greed is sneaky. Greed sneaks up on you. It's hidden. So we need to check under the hood. We need to take our pulse. We need to get the blood test. We need to do the diagnostic work. Watch out for greed. Sam Polk was a 
hedge fund investor, and he wrote an article a number of years ago in the New York Times. This is what he wrote. He said, in my last year on Wall Street, my bonus was $3.6 million, and I was angry because it wasn't big enough. I was 30 years old, had no children to raise, no debts to pay, no philanthropic goals in mind. I wanted more money for the exact same reason an alcoholic needs another drink. I was addicted. And he goes on to describe how the love of money began to eat away at all the areas of his life. And, and Scott Sauls, a Presbyterian pastor in Nashville, one of his books described his reaction to reading Sam's article. And Scott says, first, he was bewildered by this. How can somebody not be satisfied with a $3.6 million bonus? But then he said that bewilderment soon turned to outrage. Who in the world deserves a $3.6 million bonus? But the next, it very quickly went into self-righteousness. I would never be like that. I'd never be driven by money like that. I'd never be ungrateful like that. I'd never think I needed more like that. What an awful person. You know, it's easy to point our finger up the ladder in spot greed and those who have more than us, but Jesus won't let us off the hook that easy. He says, watch out for greed in yourself, not just in those above you and their earnings and their wealth. Take a look in your own life. Phyllis Tickle writes, greed is a sin that we see readily in others, but rarely acknowledge as our own. And therein lies its power. There's a Pew research study that came out several years ago where they researched a cross-section of Americans and only 2% of Americans considered themselves to be in the upper class. That is 98% of Americans think that they are middle class or below. Another survey by the Barna Group found that 75% of Americans define themselves as financially insecure. We live in the most wealthy nation in the history of the world, and 75% of us don't feel as if we have enough. To which Jesus says, take care. Don't just look up the ladder. Take care. Be on your guard against greed. The Easterlin Paradox is named for a University of Southern California professor who in 1974 showed that while the average income in America had consistently risen above the rate of inflation for the previous 30 years, happiness had declined in that same period. Many, many researchers argue there is such a thing as a prosperity paradox, that increasing people's income does not bring more long-term happiness. In fact, it actually seems to bring less. Many countries in Western Europe with the highest standard of living have reported the lowest degree of satisfaction and the highest suicide rates. Research shows almost all people, number one, think that they don't have enough. Number two, think they'd be happier if they had more. But number three, generally are not happier when they do acquire more. And this is because many of us don't have a money problem so much as we have a greed problem. And yet, we spend endless energy, countless hours, often getting lots of advice and help, plotting ways to increase income, but almost zero energy on how to decrease greed. Think about how much effort you spend in your life thinking about how to increase income. How much time have you spent 
thinking about how to decrease greed. And the reason nobody ever thinks they're greedy is because no one feels like they have enough or what they deserve. None of us think this is a problem, but Jesus says, take care, be on your guard, watch out for all kinds of greed. We have no idea how blind to our own sickness we are. Greed is hidden. Secondly, greed is foolish. Foolish in the sense that we tend to ascribe way too much to wealth. We ascribe way too much to wealth. Consider the sort of in the middle of your list of Proverbs. Proverbs 16, verse 16, where it says, How much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. This comes kind of smack dab in the middle of a, a series of Proverbs that are often called the better than Proverbs, where it lists something, right? Like something you're tempted to pursue, something you're tempted to give your life to, something you're tempted to pour yourself out for. And then it goes on to say, no, but, but wisdom is better than that other thing. And here in our verse, right, it's wisdom is better than gold. Understanding is better than silver. Greed absolutizes wealth. The book of Proverbs relativizes wealth. Wisdom, understanding is much more valuable. Or Proverbs 15, where it says, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Again, it's not that money is bad. It's just that there are other things that are worth so much more. Like relationships, for example. Your relationship to God, the proverb says, right? Better is a little with the fear of the Lord. It's more important than money or wealth. Your relationship to others, right? Better is a dinner of herbs, a meager meal, a meal that doesn't cost a lot. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is, right? Than the fattened ox with hatred with it. For most of us, though, we put money too high on the list, much too high on the list for most of us. We need to demote it. Book of Proverbs would tell us your bottom line should never be your bottom line. Greed is foolish. It tends to ascribe way too much to money and wealth, but it's also foolish because it's very short-sighted. Right? Money, wealth in this life is temporary. Proverbs 11, the second one in your list, says, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, or riches do not profit on judgment day. But righteousness delivers from death. What good is money? What good is your portfolio when you stand before the Lord on judgment day? Proverbs 23, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it's gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Money is temporary, ephemeral. It passes away. It reminds me of an old joke. A rich man dies, comes before the pearly gates, and sitting there at the gates of heaven is St. Peter. And the man comes up, and Peter says to him, well, you can come in, but you've got to leave your bag behind. All, all people have to leave it all behind. And the rich man says, well, you, 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 you don't understand. Uh, God knows how hard I've, I've worked for this and how important this is. Surely he'll let me bring it in. And Peter says, well, this is really unprecedented. I'll, I'll run it up the line of command here, the chain of command. But before I, I do, just can you tell me what's in the bag? And so the rich man empties out the bag, and it's a huge pile of gold to which Peter responds, What? Pavement? 
Streets of gold, yeah? All right. You know, I've told this joke here a number of times, and it's always gone just about this way. But I keep thinking the next time, it's just going to kill. Ten more years, we'll try it again. The point, though, right, is if there is such a thing as eternity, and it stretches out infinitely longer than your span here on earth, and how foolish it is to pour your happiness into something that you cannot possibly take with you. Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Greed is hidden. Greed is foolish. And greed destroys. Proverbs 15, verse 27 says, Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. In the New Testament version of this, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Greed leads to all kinds of other evils. And you shouldn't have to think too hard about this, right? Selfishness, hoarding, cheating, fraud, perjury, theft, quarreling, hatred, violence, often flow downstream from the love of money. The early church father, John Chrysostom, wrote, he said, take away the love of money and you put an end to war, to battle, to enmity, to strife, and to contention. First Timothy 6 continues on. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And that phrase, pierced themselves with many pangs, that always reminds me of a, a story that Susie Orman tells. Susie Orman's the financial analyst guru on uh, CNBC, I think it is. She tells a story about her dad, and I'll just read it to you. She said, when I was 13, my dad owned his own business, a tiny shack where he sold chicken, ribs, hamburgers, hot dogs, french fries. One day, the oil that the chicken was fried in caught fire, and in a few minutes, the whole place exploded in flames. My dad bolted from the store before the flames could engulf him. Then my mom and I arrived on the scene, and we all stood outside watching the fire burn away my dad's business. All of a sudden, my dad realized he had left his money in the metal cash register inside the building, and I watched in disbelief as he ran back into the inferno before anyone could stop him. He tried to open the metal register, but the intense heat had already sealed the drawer shut. He picked up the scalding metal box and carried it outside. When he threw the register on the ground, the skin on his arms and chest came with it. He had escaped the fire safely once, untouched, and then he voluntarily risked his life and was severely injured. The money was that important. That was when I learned that money is obviously more important than life itself. From that point on, earning money, lots of money, not only became what drove me professionally, but also became my emotional priority. Greed is hidden. Greed is foolish, and greed can ruin you, can destroy you. But how do you know if you are greedy? 
How do you know if you should be having that conversation in my office or with someone else in your small group, right, that you struggle with greed? How do you know? Well, here are some signs, all right? We'll do these relatively quickly, but some signs of greed. First, gloating, right? If you have a lot and you're driven by greed, chances are you're going to let others know about it, right? You're going to know let others know about what you have, right? If you poured your significance into your things, into your money, if you poured your beauty into your, if that's your scorecard in this life, right, then you've got to show it off, right? Conspicuous consumption, bigger homes, bigger meals, more lavish tastes. You're going to gloat. Maybe that's an obvious sign of greed, gloating over all that you have or all that you will have when you get around to earning it or get around to finally buying it. But that's not all, right? Because another sign of greed, it's not just gloating, it's also worrying. You know, greed and wealth, we've been trying to say this all along, right? Greed and wealth are not the same thing. Abraham, Job, Boaz, to name a few, are people in the Bible who had a lot of money, but they weren't greedy. They were described as righteous and, and generous. So you can have money, it is possible, right, to have money and not be greedy, but the flip side is also true, meaning you cannot have a lot of money and utterly be consumed with greed. There is a kind of money-centeredness that manifests itself as worry. Greedy people who have a lot tend to glow. Greedy people who don't have a lot tend to worry, to be gripped by anxiety. Signs of greed in your life or gloating or worrying, but even beyond, below those, more foundational than those, or maybe what those the gloating and worrying flow from is this third sign of greed, which is trusting. That is trusting money and wealth to be something for you that only God can be. Proverbs 11 verse 28 says, whoever trusts in his riches will fall but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. When you put your trust in riches, you're looking for money to make you safe, right? You think to yourself, if I have enough, then I'd be secure. If I have enough, then I'll have control. If I have enough, I'll be protected. I'll be insulated from all the pain and the misery and the heartache that's out there in the world. A lot of us think that way about money. We've been taught to think that way about money. And if you find yourself worrying about money or having trouble parting with it, giving it away, it may very well be because you're looking for money to be something for you that really only God can be. Now, the truth is, having money is convenient. It certainly makes some things easier. Let's not lie about that. But it's not security. Not really. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall. Can wealth, can money, can riches make you safe against all the dangers of life? Can it make you safe from accidents and cancer and death and brokenness and betrayal and heartache? Does money secure you from any of those things? Greed is when we look to money to be a security and safety that only God can be for you. Listen to what Frederick Buechner says. He says, the trouble with being rich is that since you can solve with your checkbook virtually all the practical problems that bedevil ordinary people, you are left in your leisure with nothing but the great human problems to contend with, how to be happy, how to love and be loved, 
how to find meaning and purpose in your life. In desperation, the rich are continually tempted to believe they can solve these problems too with their checkbooks, which is presumably what led Jesus to remark one day that for a rich man to get to heaven is about as easy as for a Cadillac to get through a revolving door. Gloating, worrying, trusting, signs of greed. What do we do? Right, what do we do if we see some of those things? Even this morning as you're doing the diagnostic, as you're taking the blood test, checking your pulse, what if you see some of those things in yourself? What's the antidote? What's the remedy for greed? Well, the remedy for greed is generosity. Generosity as a spiritual discipline can, can pry the, 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 the grip of greed off of your heart. It can break the power of greed in your life. And it begins with generosity first to the Lord. Your very first line in the list of Proverbs, Proverbs 3 verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Robert Cunningham is a pastor in our little family of churches down in Lexington. And he said this, he said, Greed might be the most difficult sin to identify. An easy safeguard is this. First, set a costly standard of giving then comes your standard of living. First, set a costly standard of giving, and then comes your standard of living. You know, that's reverse of what almost all of us do, right? We decide our standard of living first, and then we decide, okay, well, then now what can I give? But to honor the Lord with our wealth, right? To give him the first fruits. Did you catch that? The first fruits, not the leftovers. Honor the Lord with your first fruits means we start with a standard of giving, and then rearrange our standard of living according to that. That's why in the Old Testament, Israel was commanded to tithe right away, 10% straight away to the Lord, acknowledging that it all comes from him, first of all, but then also forcing uh, decisions to be made with God in mind first, rather than the pursuit of a lifestyle or amassing wealth. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits. Of all your produce, generosity first to the Lord, but then secondly, uh, we're freed from greed when we have generosity toward others, particularly others in need. Proverbs 22, verse 9 says, Whoever has a bountiful eye, you know what a bountiful eye is? It's a person of generosity, a person of uh, uh, beneficence. This is a person who is looking for needs and looking to figure out how their life can, can help meet those needs. A bountiful eye. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. There's a little devotional in the book of Proverbs. Tim Keller writes this in response to that verse. He says, we love God with our money when we treat it as his, not ours, and send it to the things he loves. I like that phrase. Send it to the things he loves. We read in scripture about what God loves, about what God is like, about how he gives himself away, how God pours himself out for the brokenhearted and the needy. He gives himself to the widow, the orphan, the alien, and the poor. Generosity has a way of breaking the power of money over us as we send our money to the things that God loves. We become more like God as we use our money to heal and repair and meet needs. We're blessed as we become more like him. That's what it means to be godly, right? To be more like him, to send our resources toward the things he loves. Maybe for some of us this morning, that's our application. 
Maybe you need to set a costly standard of giving first to the Lord, then to others in need. To begin to build into your life the spiritual discipline of giving, relativizing money, demoting it below love of God and love of your neighbor. But it's not just generosity that we have, right? Our generosity to God and to others that frees us from the grip of money in our lives. But more importantly even, it's coming to know and trust the generosity of God to us that begins to free us from greed. Proverbs 28 verse 27 says, whoever gives to the poor will not want. Some translations have it. Whoever gives to the poor will lack no good thing. You hear that? Whoever gives to the poor will lack no good thing. That is, as we give ourselves away, we can trust in the generosity of God. The character of God is to be generous to his children, to meet our needs. And so as we pour ourselves out on behalf of others, we can trust in God's generosity to meet our our needs. And you know, you actually have more to go on in this than the writer of Proverbs did. And the writer of Proverbs had plenty to look at and see the generosity of God in the life of the people of God, in the life of his own uh, life, right? He could see the generosity of God, but you know more than the writer of Proverbs even knew because we live on this side of Jesus Christ coming into the world and there is no more obvious act of God's generosity in that he has given us his only son. Consider the things that Jesus has done for you. He left behind a palace in heaven to undertake homelessness here on earth. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He did that for you. Jesus suffered death as a criminal on the cross. He took the very sin of the world onto himself in order to pay for it. He did that for you. He lost his power. He gave up his glory. He did that for you. In the end, he only had a few scraps of clothing left, the last items that he could call his own in this world. And even then, they were casting lots to see who could take those from him as well. He did that for you. Jesus lost the very presence of God, kind of relational poverty, spiritual poverty. When he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did that for you. And the apostle Paul sums all this up by saying, though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. He did that for you. The chief remedy for greed is to know and trust the generosity of God. If you really believe that, if you really believe what Jesus has done for you, you're going to feel rich. And that's going to pry greed's power away from your heart. You're going to believe the one who said, fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom because you've seen what he's given you in his son. You won't hold tightly to the things of this world. You'll be able to offer up your first fruits to him. You'll send your money to the things that he loves. Do you know the generosity of God? Do you need help with greed this morning? Well, there's help, even in the Lord's Supper. If you need help with this this morning, I want to invite you to come to the Lord's Supper as we eat the bread, as we drink the wine. We experience Jesus pouring himself out for us. He has been rich in generosity towards you. 
And when you taste and see and know and trust in that, then you can be rich in generosity toward God and toward others in need. Let's pray together. Ask the band to come up and lead us in another song, and then we'll come to the Lord's Supper. But would you pray with me? Lord, we do ask that you would help us to to honor you with our wealth. As we're doing these diagnostics uh, in the book of Proverbs during the season of Lent, this is hard sometimes to face these things, but important to know what's wrong or what needs recalibrating in our own hearts and souls. Would you do that work in us this morning? We ask that you would pry our hearts away from the love and the trust of money and instead that we would prioritize our, our love and our trust in you. I pray that you would show yourself to us, even now, to be beautiful, to be good, to be worthy, to be generous toward us, particularly as we consider Jesus Christ and what he's done for us on the cross. Help us to worship even now. And in that worshiping, would you set us free from greed? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from New City, a church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Visit our website at newcitycincy.org for more sermons and resources. That's newcitycincy.org. Thanks for joining us today, and God bless you.